Welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average Operator with me, Paul Mellon McFadden, sitting next to my buddy, Mike. How are you, Mike? Mike's doing well. How are you? I've got to tell you that <laughs> Jerry, Jerry's sisters both keep messaging her. Mike does such a good Paul impersonation. but he, And then the other one's like, no, he does a better Cherry impersonation. Uh, hi, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I did it the other day uh, when they got in, we were talking about it. But uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely awkward, man. We were sitting there talking the first day I'm at the airport. I made a really nice sign for Mellon and his family. Might have I been saw that. Might have been the a message in there about the, uh, the clan from down under national team. Yeah, I think that's what I came up with. So uh, regardless, I think they saw the giant sign and the uh, baggage claim and uh, they came running. <laughs> but uh yeah, it was it was the first time I saw him, so I'm looking throughout the crowd, and I'm like, man, we're, you know, I'm looking I'm looking for Melon's big head and, and his, <laughs> you know, per, his perfect hair, and and then I'm looking for the for the kids and and Cherry, and they're all the same size. That's what that, that's what I kind of found out. I asked Melon, I was like, dude, I was like, I, I was getting some shirts and stuff. I was like, how tall are they? Like, what, what should I get? And he's like, well, they're, they're all five three, so just go off of that. <laughs> and I was like, okay. But uh, Cherry's stoked right uh, now because she just got rounded up to the nearest five foot three. <laughs> <laughs> she's like five two if she's lucky. <laughs> but they are all exactly the same size. Right. But yeah, so so for the listeners, Mike and I are physically together sitting next to the same microphone, which is pretty weird and pretty funny. So we flew in to uh, the United States of America and there was there were messages about keep your eyes open. And so Michael and Annie were on the scan looking around. Michael was like doing 360s, thinking that he was going to drop off the ceiling onto him or something. It was pretty funny. And uh, so then uh, a guy jumps out from the shadows with a big green sign with the Welcome to America sign on it. And it was awesome. And uh, we've just had three days of mayhem. It feels, it feels like we've been in the States for more than a month. The days have just been packed. We've been at the beach. We had a... Uh, a surf patrol uh sorry i should say hello to you guys first for the listeners raf how you doing man nah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we never mind forget that yeah one. <laughs> there's other guys yeah. here and mccarthy how you doing mark yeah good man keep going keep going yeah Although i do want to say mike looks like such a bold school child on the screen right now he just he's just sitting there just like uh <laughs> Shoulders hunched. He's so scared of Big Daddy being there. <laughs> Number one, I, I'm not calling him Big Daddy, but he is taking up the majority of the space here. So, well, apparently, we I were, for exactly the, the time sauce. For everybody that's listening, we were saying earlier that Mike looked like a prisoner in the room with Melon. <laughs> and I, what I what I think is going to happen is by the end of this episode, there's going to be got like a Stockholm syndrome type thing going on by the end of it. <laughs> you reckon Mike's going to be holding up little messages <laughs> Tap, he's going to be tapping the floor and stuff I'm tapping the yeah. microphone <laughs> yeah. you're listening to this podcast help me <laughs> or, or just blink your eyes remember that in Vietnam the POWs would blink their eyes whether it was <laughs> man so anyway we went to the beach and we had like a surf life-saving chick come up and tell us that the beach was closed because it was too dangerous because there was a storm like 20 miles away and I was like this is hilarious to be at the beach with a person with the skill set of this dude. And it's like, it's not safe for him to go in the water. 
<laughs> so, so then we, we just went to a different part of the beach where there's no surf patrol into the water we went and we we've just had such a great day like annie being in like pretty big surf like well over her head surf holding hands and like hanging on to the back of mike and just being totally comfortable to stay in the surf for like an hour like i never thought i'd see her out there because imagine being vision impaired and that water hitting you in the face you don't know where the waves are coming from very scary environment so that was the first day and then uh we went to like this indoor entertainment center it was like every child's biggest dream and we did virtual reality and it was like the three boys uh mike michael and i were like super keen together and shoot some zombies and annie heard us and i was like man she's gonna be really disappointed if she, if she doesn't get the chance but i don't think she's gonna be able to see anything in that in those lenses so cherry was like safety pilot next to her and she put the freaking vr goggles on and she shot herself some zombies so we, we were in this VR game together with the zombie apocalypse and Annie was, and afterwards I was like, hey, how did you go on Annie? Like, did you, did you see any zombies? She's like, oh, I think so. I saw like glowing red eyes. I'm like, yeah, that was them. She's like, oh yeah. <laughs> Dude, it, 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 was, cool. it was one of the coolest things I saw because you can see each other in the game and you know, her name's above it and you're standing and you can like get below these barriers and stuff and the zombies are running out. And uh, so I'm, I'm shooting, Melon's on my right, Annie's on my left. So I'm like shooting, you know, and, I, and you know how I get, I start getting going and I turn <laughs> I, I turn and look and there's Annie's character and she just turns and you can see the zombie coming at her and like, she has a shotgun in the game. And she's just like, she's like, oh, there he is. And just blows him, blows his head off. And I was like, yes. I was like, oh my God, Annie just did that. Oh man, I was stoked. And then Michael's on the other side. And he's like, Annie, Annie, get him, get him. Like, help me out and shoot him and stuff, dude. It was, it was so fun. Like, she, she did so well. Like, like I, I was actually a bit emotional. It was like a strange thing to see her doing these things that I, I really thought was beyond her capabilities. And she didn't need mum, who was a safety one, out of the game sort of watching her. But it was just this amazing experience. And then we went and played laser tag. And unsurprisingly, everybody wanted Mr. Mike on their team. <laughs> <laughs> well until he started shooting everyone in the back be whoa, whoa, whoa. Be, careful, <laughs> be careful about the team uh word that we're using here so i was on the impression that us being the clan we were going to go in as a team and well, okay, hey whoa 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 can we use a different word that word it just makes me feel uneasy that's all i'm not offended plan, plan? just makes me feel uneasy mm. well anyways uh the group the group that we were in how about can i suggest El Grupo? <laughs> <laughs> El Grupo? I don't know. I'd have to translate, get someone to translate that for me. I'm not sure what it means. Well, it, that, it, well, it means the Grupo. <laughs> so, how you guys know? <laughs> well, so we go in there and, you know, I was like, okay, we're all going to be on the same team. We go to the one side of the, the thing. It's like three, two, one, start. We're going. I start moving around and instantly, you know, it's, it's like, you're dead. Beep, 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 beep. You're dead. Beep, 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 beep. You're dead. I'm like, there's nobody in front of me. Like, what's going on, right? I turn around. There, there, there's Melon shooting me. There's his buddy Bruce shooting me. And, and I'm just like, I'm trying to get away. I was like, come on. Okay, okay. They're, they're just, you know, doing their thing. And then I walk around a corner, and here comes Cheza and Annie. And Annie's just kind of holding on the back of Cheza. And she turns and looks at me and goes, Mr. Mike? And I was like, yes. And she just drills me right in the chest. <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, all right, that's it. And I start going internal and started killing everybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> he, he went bad. It was like so a, it sounds it like like a guys, horror film. 
he went he had one the yeah the straw broke the camel's back and then he just went he went off <laughs> off piste well uh, anyway we've it been, sounds like collusion and then and then we went and visited dc yesterday and saw some of the really big monuments and rode around on an electric scooter <laughs> and he's sitting standing on the front of the scooter in front of me actual freak out at the start because it's like getting that thing going with her on it was was not comfortable for her but then she loved it and we went around the Washington Monument, the Pool of Remembrance, and the World War II Memorial. Saw the Lincoln Monument, the memorials for uh, Vietnam as well. Just, and then we were were very privileged to be taken into hallowed ground and uh, visited Arlington uh, Cemetery. It was very moving for the whole family. We watched the changing of the guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and uh, and then drove back. And it just it's felt like a a huge privilege to be here and. Um, you know, we're very grateful for all of the stuff that we've seen and done. And uh, there's been fun mixed with, in with some serious stuff. And, and then we had to come back and meet you Stooges online for an episode. Well, I'm not trying to rain on your parade, Melon, but I just want to, I've known Mike, what, almost a decade now? Yeah, way too long. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that. It was, it's way too long. It's, it's a decade longer than I've been wanting to know him. <laughs> and I've, I've visited him in his i've slept in his bed i've literally slept feet from his bed and he has never done any of those things with me not a single one it's so I I've, like I've been i've been taking notes duly noted well i've been spending all of my quality time with chesa and i'm i'm sure you i've shown pictures just to show you that i won and it's over so I, I burned my phone when I saw it. I literally was like, this. And it like the phone blew up and I threw it in a, in a burn pit. <laughs> Actually funny. It was good. So here we are. What have you been up to, Raph? You've, obviously, you're sitting there with your two ladies over each shoulder again in the cupboard. Yeah, I'm, I'm a short timer. I'm about a week away from heading home. Um, just... Working out, just keeping busy. There's a lot of little projects around around the camp. They're asking for volunteers, that sort of thing. But mostly I've just been trying to get my hands on some good books. Actually, I just picked up a book the other night talking to uh, hopefully a former guest named Blake. Um, he had suggested going into this. We have this room with a bunch of books and entertainment stuff. Anyways, I found this book called Escaping Camp 14. It's about this kid from North Korea who was actually born in one of the prison camps. Um, I mean, the story is, it's wild. I mean, if anyone who's listening, just Google it, escape from camp 14. And it's, if you think your life is hard, uh, you won't after reading this book. And I'm only, I'm only like three chapters in. Yeah. So this is, this is uh, a good little segue into something really just real quick. Um, we, we put out a post on not your average operator on uh, Instagram and Facebook about like, Hey, what, what favorite episodes that people had and people were actually responding and having uh, some really good feedback and also some suggestions. And one of the things was we always reference a lot of books, uh, you know, Hey, what do you guys like to read? What, what's been, you know, I know we did an episode way towards the beginning of like influential books and stuff, but um, they said, Hey, would you guys mind like comprising a list of your favorite books and, you know, listed up there. So uh, look out for that uh, for the for the near future. Uh, we'll be posting some books like, you know, some of these ones that Raph's talking about, um, some other ones on leadership and military service. But then just, you know, I, I think there's we probably cover the whole uh, the whole uh, 
spectrum. Yeah, the whole spectrum of everything with what uh, we talk about. I can already tell you that Mellon is going to suggest Stephen Covey. <laughs> McCarthy loves it too. And I believe that Mike might have quoted him as well last week inadvertently. I did. He did. Get he doesn't know what that word. He doesn't know what that word means, but he did. He did. When it's, uh, when it's good, it's good. But that's. I'm, I'm stoked to hear you're uh, coming towards the end of this trip, Raf. You know, we've been thinking about you a lot. We know how busy you've been, and just for the listeners, there's been almost no comms with Raf in between episodes. He's just been that busy. So uh, these these times together, we really appreciate, mate. We're yeah, yeah, for, same. We're praying for uh, happy tailwinds all the way home for you. When the time comes, man. Yeah. I would like yeah, to just real quick, Raph, Raph kind of let the audience know indirectly. They said they're using him around camp. So <laughs> I don't even think he's working anymore. I think he's on like pickup duty. Uh, and He used to have a landscaping business. I don't know if you knew this. So I think partially they're like, you, get outside. And you're a week out, hedges need trim. Get out there. He's very good with a rose bush from all accounts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, rose bushes. They got those over there now? I'm a bit of a green thumb when it comes to rose bushes or maybe a brown thumb. Is that is brown thumb? Is that a thing? <laughs> One thing I'm going to say now, I've never said before, McCarthy, just shut the hell up, man. What are you, what are you doing? You're giving us absolutely nothing. We go to such lengths to get you on here and then you just sit there like a mute. I'm just enjoying this. I have images of Raf and Mike now going out into the surf, holding hands. And we're going to get a picture of that later on. <laughs> Amazing. I want to know who won the Axron contest because you were talking big about the Axron contest. So we got who there won? and there was, it was, there was, I think, a combination of age limit and also no vision impaired people are allowed to throw axes. So, so we steered towards the stuff that we could do. Fair enough. Fair America enough. has much different rules when it comes to safety than Australia. Okay. So one is the axe throwing. The other one is when the lifeguard came up, was like, we have to close the beach. Cheza looked at this girl and was like, oh, we only close the beaches in Australia when sharks eat people. <laughs> <laughs> and this girl's face just dropped. <laughs> but Jess is like, this is, I'm serious. <laughs> we actually thought it was a joke. I was like, Be beaches closed? What are you talking about? I didn't know it was a real thing. But anyway, you're well, you're well Mark. All good, man. Uh, spent the last week now giving COVID shots to people in the hospital. So that was amazing. I think we did like two days. I think we did 1,500, give or take. So that's, wow. that's, that's, that's good news. So we're Wait, getting there. Mark, so you, you were actually given COVID? Like you were given <laughs> COVID in a shot form? <laughs> I do not know how to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the trap in Montana was laid last week and I don't want to go back into that one. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon if COVID came in a shot form, I don't think we'd have any problems at all. So here we are. We've, um, we've done a couple of episodes, Mark, and there's been, we've, we've really heard a lot of good stuff and I've, I've gotten a lot out of the stuff we've been talking about around uh, the topic of critical incidents. The area I've really been thinking a lot about because I've had these sorts of thoughts in the work aviation, military aviation context before, I've really been thinking about how to apply this stuff in my personal life and like at work, being able to just deal with the next person just in a routine sort of work way with that reset, reassess, deep breath, 
and going in fresh like that's the first person you've seen for the day rather than having anything come over from the previous. And the same thing around the kids and uh, the family. And I, I've really been thinking about it a lot. So I'm interested to see where it goes today. So do you want to uh, hit us up with what the, the part three of three here, what the topic is, Mark? I feel like the worst person in the world now. We're just having chats about like you having the best time of your life after Ireland, your second best visit you've ever had, you know, <laughs> we're talking about books and stuff. Like that. I just feel like the teacher coming into the room going, all right, kids, everybody sit down, shut up. <laughs> Let's get on with this show. I'm just terrible. trying to get some sort of contribution from you because you just <laughs> like you lost your voice, like no Irishman ever in world history. I'm just trying to behave myself. I'm trying to behave myself. I don't want to incriminate myself in public radio or public (laughs) domain too much. Yeah, true, 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 true. (laughs) Yeah, I think what you're saying is absolutely right. The the trick to all of this and really what what kind of it, it sparked me a little bit this week was just reading some of your reviews. And I think one of them was from a lady who said like she loves the podcast because she's a housewife and the topics you cover have really spoken to her, which... I think is a credit to you guys, but I think it, it kind of lends itself to the university of the, the universe. Uni- what am I trying to say here? The ability, the, the, the topics that you're talking about, like are, are universal and they, they touch on everybody. It's not just aviation, military, healthcare, as you said. Um, so yeah, I think bringing it to your personal life is, is, is where you want it to be. Um, and what I was going to talk about today was a guy called Sidney Decker. Mike, you'll never guess where he's from. North. He's from up north, I'm guessing. No, he's actually an Australian pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give McCarthy 50 bucks after this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's, he's a guy who's written a book, and it's called uh, The Field Guide to Human Error. But we were going to talk about critical instant learning today, I think. Yes. And, um, you know, how we, how we, kinda, how we can kind of look back on incidents and, and learn from them. Because if you put a critical incident into a hole and just cover it up or just go, as you said, like in the first episode, Mike, Hey, you did a shit job. You know, that's it. End of story. I was right. You were wrong. End of story. Where does that leave everybody? It's, it's not a, it's not a good place to be. So he kind of talks about um, two views, the old view, which is the the way that you describe things like you're wrong. Somebody effed up, you know, they made a mistake, but then there's a new view. And his whole thing is that you kind of look at the, and we've talked about it already. You talk about the the systems and the processes, and that the error doesn't the the review of the error doesn't stop with who did it. It's actually the starting point. So that's where I was going to go with this today. Mate, sounds awesome. Um, so that's 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 where I was going to start. Yeah. Um. So so with that, like his view is like he he talks a lot about human error, and I suppose that's what we've been talking about throughout the the last two series. Um, so he's kind of saying that the old view is uh, human error um, was the cause of whatever accident happened. But the new view is around hu- uh, human error being a symptom of deeper processes. And that's that's where the learning comes from. So that's where I kind of think it links into critical incident learning. So with that, like we kind of talked about the debrief. We talked about, you know, emotional state and stuff like that. But then you have to kind of understand the, the, the kind of ideas that we're going into a, a critical incident to learn from. So he describes uh, four phases. Uh, he talks about, um, he talks about um, judgmental. Uh, 
how we shouldn't be judgmental when we're looking at a situation. He talks about not looking at it from a proximal viewpoint, which is people who are who are closest to the encounter. Um, he also talks about being retrospective in looking at things because it's really easy to look at an accident and say, looking back on it, we know where all the mistakes are made. That shouldn't have happened. That's really easy way to look at it. And then uh, to be counterfactual. So those are the four things he talks about. And again, counterfactual being this shouldn't have happened. They shouldn't have done that. And it's not really progressive. It doesn't really help anybody. It just kind of pins the blame on somebody at the end. So that's kind of that's kind of the starting point when we talk about critical incident learning. Have you guys come across that before, like in your experiences? This sounds really a lot like um, a lot of the aviation uh, safety stuff that I've had all my training in since I was a cadet back in the day was always the organizational incident or the organizational accident was a way to look. And it's always process system uh, error generating to, to get away from that easy label of just pilot error, which doesn't tell you anything and there's nowhere to learn. There's no way to prevent the next one. And so this sounds very, very similar that start, you know, and it, those faults that you talk to, it's very easy to read an accident or incident uh, investigation or description. And you know that there was a, you know that there was a bad outcome. And so you're reading it like that and like, oh, how could they do this? And look at this idiot. What did he, what was he thinking? Rather than it's just another routine. Like I know that they've done some stuff where they've had failure modes on airliners and they get fr a fresh crew in and they tell them they're going to have an emergency system and they just sit in there and they nail it. They're, they're looking for the errors the whole time. They're in the great scan. And then a really senior investigator got crews who just landed from like a, a LA to Sydney flight and rather than letting them go home, it's like, no, you're going into the simulator now for two hours. And they just sit there and it's in crews and they in introduce an insidious failure. And they had like 99% of the guys ended up in a fatal accident. And the guy in the actual occurrence had recognized the situation quite late, but had saved the aircraft. And there's only like 1% of people did that when they were in that fatigued routine state. So looking at things with that whole viewpoint of these idiots have done something stupid and there's an, there's an incident or accident at the end of it, there's no learning in that rather than starting with the assumption that I would have done the same thing in the same place as these guys and what is the process or system. I really like that because, <clears throat> again, the last two episodes we were talking about how it relates to each one of us and, and I'm thinking about just your – like you said, it's a very easy just to look at as a whole and cut it out and be like, yep, there is the problem, that's it. But also recognizing even before you go into a situation is just being, you know, judging yourself and, and being like, okay, I know I'm going to be tired. I know I'm going to be sluggish at this point, you know, so for, for an operation, you know, one of the most dangerous portions of it is not the actions on target necessarily, but it's exfil. So like when we're leaving the target, going out to extract and get picked up by, you know, guys like RAF or anything else, that walk out your mind automatically is just like, I accomplished something. I'm good. Like I can relax. I, I can head out and, and, you know, you're kind of in a relaxed state and you're tired because you just spent six to eight hours on a target, clearing it and, you know, going through everything. So it's, it's considered the most dangerous portion just because everything is brought down, but trying to maintain and be like, I need to even be more alert because I know I'm in this state. Um, that's kind of what pops into my head. So, when we're talking about debriefing and looking at the big picture, we're actively doing that like during, during the mission and, and realizing that, 
you know, Hey, I need to judge myself. I need to judge my team. I need to figure out what's the best way to move forward with this because I know that we're tired. I know that we're carrying a hundred extra pounds. I know that, you know, whatever. So that's kind of what popped in my head, but I think that's again, very relevant. Yeah. I think you're touching on what we, what we talked about last week and I know I didn't really clear it up or I kind of wanted to listen back to debriefing myself after listening to the episode back once. Um, we talked about situational awareness and I never kind of went through the, the, the five phases, but I, I think you're touching on it now. Um, and I just want to clarify for everybody who was listening last time. So what you're kind of talking about is that uh, timed out phase where you've, you've kind of, you're, like we said, you're cruising on the road. Um, you know, you know, the road it's clear. There's no stimulus. Uh, that's that's a that's a dangerous phase to be in when you're when you're in that timed out that, that timed out phase where you want to be as you said is either uh, relaxed awareness or focused awareness one of those two so those are the next two steps up relaxed being the next level and focused awareness being kind of like all right things are getting ready to go or as you said mike you realize that you're tired and it's coming to the end and you want to jump back in from from relaxed to a more focused awareness you've just come off that high alert phase so you've just done your mission you've just completed your target and that's the that's the high alert phase but as we said last week you cannot stay in that phase for a long time as you said you're exhausted after it's that emotional roller coaster and you were asking me how do we deal with it in the in the emergency department if if you want to know or if you want to if you want to piss off a nurse catch her 10 minutes before she's going off duty (laughs) and ask her for something a little bit you know random or you know that you'll do it because she's just at the end of a 12 hour emotional roller coaster nearly every day in the emergency department. So, um, cause it tires you, it exhausts you, but, um, th- that's the kind of high alert phase. And the last phase I didn't cover was the comatose phase, which is like I mentioned, the, the kind of tiger jumping out of the leaves in the jungle. And you exclude every other, every other, um, stimulus except for the immediate threat. And that's a dangerous, that's a dangerous phase to be in as well. So those, the two ends, as you said, on the bell curve last week, Melons, the comatose and the timed out are not great, great phases to be in. Um, so it's to be aware of that when you are going into a, a situation to, to debrief it and to try and to get back to what we're talking about, to try and go back and find where the learning is. Be aware where you are. Such golden name, McCarthy. I love that. So timed out. Relaxed awareness, focused awareness, high alert and comatose with an aim to be resetting yourself back into either relaxed or focused awareness. Is that sort of yeah. wasn't that there? Yeah. 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 I, I love I love hearing all these different phrases or different frameworks for stuff that probably we all know intuitively, but it's really good to hear these frameworks, Mark. Yeah. Um yeah, so that's it. First of all, like that's that's how I want to approach it. Like I, the the we, we've talked about it as well. We talk about reaction to failure. <clears throat> and, you know, when we react to failure or to somebody else's failure because of a position we hold, we have to be aware of that, that reaction as well because that can influence our thinking. Um, the, as I said, the old, the old view is to be, uh, is to be judgmental. It's to be uh, picking on those proximal to the situation. So when I mean proximal, uh, you're picking on the people who are closest in time to the to the event that's happened. A great example is 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 you with your with your rig. Um, it's it would be easy to kind of point the finger at you and say, well, you did something wrong with that rig. Um, but then when we talked about it previously, we said, oh, maybe the rig check wasn't wasn't correct. 
you know, whoever checked the rig, maybe they missed something. But then you go back a step further and, you, and I said it jokingly, but I, I, there were, I, I meant what I was saying when I said, like, maybe the guy who checked your rig, his last job that day was to check that rig. And he had a time pressure to be home because, you know, his wife needed his home, his family needed him home. You know, maybe he was going to meet his buddies at the bar, you know, whatever it is. So that's why it's important when we're, when we're looking at critical incident learning, we're not just looking at the proximal part, but we're looking at the, at the pieces that all, all, all fill in, fill into it as well. No, I'm not saying that's what happened, but it's just an example. Right. And, and he was probably in a rush to get to the bar, uh, you know, <laughs> let's just be honest, but uh, no. So the thing that popped in my head, the word is knee jerk. So I think everybody can relate to that, especially, especially the military is the knee jerk reaction, right? Something happened and it's just, it's just, it just seems this thoughtless, we're going to do this. And it's just like, whoa, 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 like, dude, don't go high and right, you know? And, and it's just like, nope, it's already done. Forget about it. Everybody's going to, you know, and go across the board and it just kills morale. It just kills like, you know, for we're, we're all, you know, everybody always says we're grown ass men, but you're, you're, we're professionals here. We're, we're paid thinking people that are supposed to think on our feet, you know, and nurses, pilots, special operations is like, dude, we're paid to think on our feet and go about stuff. Yes. Our mistakes going to happen. Yes. Expect mistakes, but the response shouldn't just be, you know, knee jerk blah. And here comes this thing. It's just like, there was no thought process in this. You, you didn't take the time to, to think about how would I deal with this situation, right? Either because you're not having good conversations about how do you deal with stress? How do you deal with, Hey, this happens, you know, like you said, like Mellon said, he's like, you know, I'm throwing you a softball by telling you, hey, here's the scenario. Think about it for tomorrow. And you're like, oh, I can get the perfect answers, you know. But then when you're tired, when you're coming off stuff and you're not fully focused and then that happens, it's just the knee jerk reaction of just shut it off. And then it just kills everybody. It kills the team. It kills innovation. It kills uh, if I know for me, it makes me feel like uh, everything I, I did up to that point was like it, it wasn't appreciated. I don't know if that makes sense. But it's just like, dude, I'm I'm putting in the work here, and you're just shutting me off like I did nothing. Good, Ref. If I could just, I want to give like an actual anecdotal um, example of the antithesis of what Mike just talked about, and that's Colonel Hines. When he was my battalion commander, we suffered some pretty heavy losses uh, overseas, and I, up until that point, I've had commanders that would kind of react with a knee jerk. You know, it's like, oh my God, they. It's, it's really strange because it's almost like they re suddenly realize, hey, war is dangerous, even though we all know war is dangerous. And they, they immediately wanted to um, build all these layers of safety and protection and whatnot. But, you know, inherently the professions that we're doing are, are pretty challenging at times. But what I did see from Colonel Hines was the complete opposite, right? Like he basically said, we're not going to change what we're doing. Um, we're going to evaluate it, right? We're going to make sure there's no, like, kind of like what Mark was just talking about, make sure that there's no uh, inherent failures inside the system, so to speak, like, you know, uh, which are, again, are kind of human, human elements most of the time. We're going to check those things, but, um, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you know that what you're doing is inherent, and so there's no reason to just get emotional and make these rash decisions, you know, and that was kind of going back to, circling back to you, Mike, that was massive increase in our morale because it's like, Hey, the boss still believes in us. The boss still thinks we can do this. We're still up for the task. And it just, it almost emboldened and almost strengthened our resolve to do 
like, hey, we just lost a Hilo, lost a lot of good friends. Tomorrow, we're really going to bring the fight. Like, God help anybody <laughs> on the other side of this because it's, it's going to be ugly and it's not going to be on our side. It's going to be on their side. But, but it took Colonel Hines's emotional IQ and just level of leadership because there's no doubt in my mind that he probably struggled with like, holy crap, I just lost a crew of whatever. Now he's got to go talk to the parents. And I, anyways, I just want to give an example of, of what that looks like. And I think he's a perfect example. And I've been very fortunate. Like I've said this over and over again, Melon. That's like a perfect example of what Mark was talking about last week of taking the emotion out and just having the reasoning and not being in that state where you're affected, where your decision-making is it's only going to be down. So not being in that emotional state. And I, like, I really like what you said there, that there was still an evaluation of current processes that that, that was all still looked at, but it, what, they didn't start with the assumption of what we've done is wrong or bad and we need to stop immediately. It's like, well, these processes already were really carefully thought out and being executed by top professionals. Let's do an evaluation process, but continue. And that that is exactly the decision-making that we're all actually probably referring to in this whole three-part series is getting all the emotion out, getting all the reason and fact. And uh, I mean, that's a great example, right? I, I would just like to throw out too, it does not cost any money to start the process of this whole thing that we're talking about. Uh, a perfect example. So my friends in state police up in, uh, up in Pennsylvania, but there's a lot of LEOs apparently uh, listen to our, our podcast uh, from some reviews and reached out. So using police as an example, <clears throat> but they have, I just totally shit the bed. <laughs> I totally <laughs> forgot what I just said. Let's mark that. Fuck, what was I talking? 3330. Son of a bitch. Dude, my mind literally just fucking went. <laughs> Mark tape. Mike just fucked it away. God, I did. It's an actual turd under the sheet here. It's unusual. Dude. You guys uh, are in so bed together? <laughs> we better not delete this part. Dude. <laughs> Mark, off the top rope. We better not delete this part. Son of a bitch. I'll quit. <laughs> Some of the things that I just thought then, Raph, when you were talking and also uh, the Mike was talking about in, in that uh, air investigation, incident investigating um, the James Reason uh, Swiss cheese top stuff, they talk about latent failures and active failures. And the active stuff can be poor decision-making, some poor processes perhaps, but latent failures can be things that are set up that are like a systemic failure that are going to, the seed could be planted maybe five or 10 years before. It could have been fundamental breakdown in initial training. There could be uh, material failures that are built into a, an engine, for example, where that fan blade is going to fail when it reaches, you know, this amount of use. And, and there's, if, if that hasn't been addressed in the process, that, that latent factor is going to fail at some point. And it could be both, uh, material or human, like with the training and uh, the way that things are being done, that if this is done a thousand times, eventually there's going to be the failure. So it can be a, a good framework to include there that you're looking at active and latent failures. And it can be the latent ones that are, that are the most dangerous and are, that are the hardest to correct because you don't actually see them. Yeah. So like you, you, you've absolutely hit on loads of stuff here. So like the, the, the what, what Raf was just saying about, um, Colonel Hines there um, he sounds to me like somebody who who probably ha has a has a great understanding of of the kind of 
idea of the old system and the new view of how to how to debrief situations because like the as you said, the knee-jerk reaction is perfect because what we want to do is we want to kick out bad performers. You know, we want to we want to find evidence to prove that they're stupid. You know, we want to find the proof that they made bad decisions. But people don't make bad decisions. People genuinely do things because they believe it's the right thing to do. And we talked about that before with with frames. And um, you can also refer to it as um, local rationality principles and. It brings into the, the three things. It brings in their goals, what they're trying to achieve, the knowledge that they have, and you know the 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 focus of attention. So, what was pulling their attention at that time? And we've kind of covered that already, but I don't want to get into it too much. But what you're all kind of talking about is is something that we're trying to do in in our workplace, which is a high reliability organization. I'm sure you've heard of high reliability organizations before. Where the Federal Aviation Authority is one, nuclear is and the nuclear standards are another. And what you're saying is absolutely right. There needs to be a preoccupation with failure because, as Raf was saying, inherently what we do every day is dangerous. It, it just is. Like medication, ammunition, flying at ridiculous speeds through the air in a, in a piece of machinery that could fail. But yet, planes don't fall out of the sky every day. People don't go into hospital and you don't hear reports of hundreds of people dying on a day in a hospital because we're so preoccupied with failure on a day-to-day basis that we don't even realize it um, because we do so many things right. And it's important to, to, to look at those as well. And that's another way of looking at it is, is you have your Swiss cheese model, but sometimes we have to look at how we do things right so often um, and try and improve on those, those two. Um, if, if that makes if that makes sense so that's just one of the one of the principles that we look at when we're looking at what we call high reliability organizations which is is what we try to 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 achieve um does that kind of add into it there, there, there's 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 five principles in total like i can give them to you if you want um so the other thing uh <clears throat> melons as you were saying is the reluctance to simplify we work inherently in a complex world, whether whatever the job is, even if you're, you know, working behind a, a shop front or, you know, you're working as a builder, whatever it is. When we try to simplify things down, we're, we're losing bandwidth for people to do things autonomously as well. And people are by nature autonomous and they need to be able to make decisions. Um, so, you know, sometimes complex problems need complex solutions and you, you have to trust that people can, can do that too. Um, the, the third principle they talk about is, is sensitivity to operation. Um, and again, this kind of, Mike, you've kind of touched on it before, but it, it's talking to the people who are on the front lines. They're the people who deal with the situations on a day-to-day basis. So when, when I go into work and like I said, we're talking about learning from critical incidents. Um, if a critical incident comes across my desk, it's very easy for me to sit in my chair and do a hindsight, as I just said, like, looking back hindsight bias why didn't they do this 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 and this um what i need what i usually do what i what i what i nearly always do is i go to the people and ask them like what was happening at that time the other thing i often do is i I go to the people on the floor when i don't know something or something comes across my desk that my senior or my executive is asking me and i'll kind of go i know the answer i've got a pretty good idea of what the answer is but I need to go to my frontline guys because if they're going to make a decision uh, based on my response, it's going to affect the frontline guys more than it's going to affect me. 
sitting in my office most days. Do you know what I mean? So there's they 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 talk they talk about sensitivity sensitivity of operation, and we should be going to frontline people first because they're the ones that will spot the holes far far quicker than you will if you're not doing it on a day to day basis. And the we talked about this last time. The fourth principle is commitment to resilience. So like being able to see a situation, deal with a situation, but then uh, deal with it in the moment, but then go back and be inventive and, you know, uh, be innovative around the solution to not let that problem happen again. It's not to cover the problem over. And again, this all goes back to learning critical incidences. If we don't bring it out, we can't be resilient next time. It's okay to adapt and overcome in the moment, but then we have to go back and say, all right, well, why did we have to adapt and overcome in this situation? So, so that's another another piece of it. Um, and the last thing we, we we touched on again is is refer to expertise. You don't always want you don't always want to be you know relying on uh, leaders who don't know or who aren't at the coal face. Sometimes you need to refer back to the expertise, and and that could be either somebody with a lot of experience or the people on the ground who are actually dealing with the with the problem. So, so those are all ideas that you could always bring into critical incident learning. Um, if you're, if you're ever looking back on a, on an incident. You know, a point I'd like to bring up is all of these steps are awesome. Like you could really fix any problem. If you go through this process and go, how much money does it cost to do this process? I mean, think about it really. I mean, in my mind, nothing. It's, it's literally being open to have these conversations and, and sit down and everything we're talking about is internal to human beings. It, this isn't like some like paid program where you got to go do stuff. You know, uh, example that came to mind is, you know, there's a lot of law enforcement and stuff. They always come up and they always I talk to him, you know, my, one of my best friends is and we talked about school shootings. Right. Hey, man, for this process, what's going to go on? Like, how are you guys going in? Well, we're not trained in that. We just show up and we go in. And I'm like, okay, but what's your plan? You know, what happens if this happens? What if there's a failure? What if this goes on? You know, how are you guys going to get in? And he's just like, well, the department doesn't pay for it. We don't have the funding to get trained in that. And I was like, do you really need funding to sit down around a whiteboard, have a couple beers if you want, and sit there and work out internal issues that are going on? Like, who's the team leader? If we show up on here, who's going in? How are we doing this? You know, who's, who's going with who, what extra gear are we bringing? Are we bringing ARs? Are we taking pistols or shotguns or this, you know, like whatever is an example. Um, all of that is free to sit down with your team, with your, with your job, with your leadership, chain of command, whatever, and just have an, an honest and open conversation and go through these steps that we're talking about. And more than likely, it's probably going to fix itself unless you want to spend like, you know, $50,000, have Jocko come in and, you know, yell at you and, tell you that you need to eat more protein and you know, whatever, then, then fine, then spend your $50,000. But this could all be solved mostly internal because you already know the answers. You just got to communicate. <laughs> There's really good stuff in what you're just saying there, Mike, like that, that what if the, you can do it a structured what if for failure modes and also considered uh, the terms often actions on. So actions on enemy contact, etc. Raph and I would do a lot of these with the standard emergencies that are covered in every mission at the end of the, the brief, you'd cover off on, you know, engine phase at different stages, et cetera, et cetera. But as you're saying, like, you, you, you don't need to get an expert in. You, you could sit with, you are an SME in your field. You could get with a couple of other guys, a little bit of structured brainstorming, and you could, you could flesh out some pretty basic processes that are going to be really robust at, at, a, at a first stab. 
if you then run them through a few times, you could start improving them right away. Raph, you want to jump in? No, because you literally just covered everything I was about to say. So no. Okay. The other one that was really good that McCarthy was saying there about um, it was letting people have that freedom of uh, maneuver, letting that autonomous actor at the coalface, the person who's at the tip of the spear or in the emergency room or in the classroom with the children or dealing with the, you know, the drunken disorderly or whatever, letting that person make the decision that they need to make and then having that decision be supported. So you've trained them and equipped them and it's all about trying to get that decision making down to the lowest possible level. And a lot of bureaucracies really try and retain that control and power at the top. They try and mandate every situation rather than, you know, providing the training, giving the scenario based stuff where the people understand the principles and you, you trust them. And it takes a lot to push that decision right down the organization to let that person, that, you know, woman interacting with a patient that, that teacher with a child or the policeman in a family situation, apply those principles and trust them. So that there's a, there's really good stuff in there. Yeah. And that, that's, that's kind of it. Like the, the, the more you, every time you make like in the, what, what he talks about, what Decker talks about in the all view is every time you, you have a problem and you, you, you bring in that bandwidth, you, you, you're really kind of suffocating people. You're, you're not letting them to, to really, um, work autonomously and that's what people want to do and you're just going to find people are going to start like they could potentially start causing more problems because they they'll just like go okay that's not by the book i'm not going to deal with that i'll, I'll escalate it up but then that problem is still sitting there and maybe it's a deteriorating patient maybe it's an upset, upset family member you know maybe it's a customer in a restaurant and you know the the manager has said no complaints are to be handled by staff on the floor it's to be handled by a manager or with a chef well, then if the chef is busy or the manager is busy, that customer is just sitting there stewing and, you know, they're, they're just building themselves up for a real confrontation when somebody finally does get the time to come and see them. So it's allowing people that bandwidth to, to, to make the decisions. Also, like we talked about the all view of, you know, kicking out ill performers. Like what does that, you said it already, Raph, like what does that do for morale? It just, nobody's got to be willing to make a mistake. And if you do, you can be expecting a, a kick in the kick in the ass. But where Colonel Hines is kind of saying to you, like, you know, all right, we know this happens. Our processes are okay, but like, let's, let's look at it and let's see how we can make it better. And you, you just dropped off there beforehand, but I was saying like about high, high reliability organizations, it's that preoccupation with failure because nine times out of 10, we get everything right on a, on a daily basis, but we should still be looking for areas to improve. There's inherent risk in everything that we do. Yeah. What was so fascinating about, serving under Colonel Hines at that specific time was that the, our battalion commander just literally previous to him, so the one that Colonel Hines took over for was the complete op, the polar opposite, right? Where he was completely risk averse. He would crush you for the slightest mistake of anything. I mean, it was just, it was, and again, if you don't think that an individual can affect the ether uh, it, in the work environment, I think you're completely wrong um, because just that one man making these, decisions and being really short-sighted and being really kind of high strung, so to speak, affected the ether in the area that we worked in. And everybody was afraid to like go, you know, why would I, why would I want to extend myself when I know that it's not going to be appreciated? And I wasn't alone. I mean, you had an entire unit that felt that way. I mean, that was just the, you heard it everywhere. You heard it from 
I'd say below the top three guys, that was kind of the common, and you can even see it on the eyes of some of the guys that work directly underneath them. You know, they were just kind of surviving and it's just a bad place to be. When you end up with an organization that is work to rule and there's that unwilling compliance and no innovation, no decision-making anywhere down the organization, we all know when you interface with an organization like that, like some of the poor customer service you might get from organizations that perhaps are not happy until you're not happy. Like I had trying to get my SIM card working over here, just could not believe the steps needed to get a freaking phone connected. You just like work to rule. We all see it and we know the, the sort of horrendous impact that that has on an ability, an organization interfacing with customers and so on. But it is, it is the people at the top who want to retain control. We all want to make sure that there's this, the decisions made in our organizations are perfect. And that human tendency, when you're in the position of responsibility and leadership is you're trying to control the people below you rather than train, develop, embed principles, communicate and trust them. And, and that is a very difficult thing to carry on with. And you need someone with a bit of unusual moral strength like Kelly Hines had in that situation, Ralph. Yeah. And also my own personal experience with that was, you know, I, as a maintenance officer, I was always in charge of younger, junior enlisted uh, men and women. And have I been burned? Of course I have, you know, I would trust them with several tasks or whatever it was, but I didn't, at least I'd like to think I didn't hold any sort of grudge against them. Right. Because we all make mistakes. Um, but yeah, of course I got my ass chewed on, on their behalf because they, maybe they didn't do something to the standard or whatever. I maybe I gave them too much slack, but the point is it, it no, in no way did any of that keep me from trusting them again. You know, it's, it, I always made sure that uh, whether I got my ass chewed or whatever the issue was, I, I came back and I said, Hey, it's really on me for not teaching you, or maybe I understood the standard a certain way and you un- interpreted it a different way, but that's still, it came back to me, right? Like there's just no way to, it's just, and I learned that from guys like Colonel Hines and uh, other commanders that I was very fortunate to serve under. Another guy is Paul Hansen. Hopefully we'll have him on the show. Um, he's, he's another great asset to the organization. Yeah, I think you've just nailed it there again. The, one of the things that, 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 that uh, Decker talks about as well is that the error is a window for you to, to look through. So even with those guys that you were training, it, it's a chance to show you that it's probably not just that one person that's not getting it quite right. If they don't understand it or they're not aware of what's expected, that one error or that one th- that one thing that went wrong or whatever it is, it's showing you that there may be other people out there who are thinking in the same way that they are. And it gives you that opportunity to, to go and fix it. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, you know, as you said, the reactionary, he's a bad performer, yeah. just get rid of him, put him in a box. I, I think that's, that you can literally take that everywhere. I've talked about in sports teams and sitting in a classroom, even at, even if you're in school or at uni, you know, you're, and you're sitting there and somebody goes, hey, what's the answer to question number five? And you see this person's face light up and they're just like, uh, they're not even thinking about the answer. They already know that they don't know but they're thinking about all the eyes looking on them and they're like, I can't get this wrong. They're going to make fun of me. They're going to, you know, the pressure of like, you know, instead of just being like, Hey, you know what? I don't know the answer. Like that's probably the hardest thing you can say. And then, you know, there's at least, like you said, at least one or two other people that are going, Oh, thank God they called on that person because I'll, I don't even know what subject to run right now, you know? So 
that's that's totally applicable to everything that no matter what level that you're at but the most success has come from the honest people who are in the room as a, especially tight teams you know in in the nurses and aviation and, and what i do is we're here to learn we're here to fit, fix our problems and and become more efficient so what does that take honesty you know some humility and then we get then we have to take action and i rather learn the lesson in the classroom or in the debrief uh, or the discussion than out on the battlefield where, or in the, you know, the OR or in the air, I, I don't want to learn the lesson real time up there. I'd rather talk about it on the ground in, in a safe environment, like you're talking about. And sometimes that decision-making involves deciding you're just going to light up everyone else in your laser tag team and you're going to be the <laughs> by shooting the women and children. Repeatedly. Sometimes you get pushed, you know? I've seen what happens when Mike goes bad and it's ugly. It's ugly people. Well, that makes sense though, because Mike is from Yugoslavia and they're known for their war crimes. <laughs> Yugoslavia. You're one of those Slavic countries. You need to go back in like your Pacific Southeast and all. You need to go back to your geography there, bud. It's pretty <laughs> sad. You do you even know where you're at right now? Hey, speaking of that, I'm going back to the South or sorry. Yeah, I'm going back to the South. I'm going back to Missouri. <laughs> Missouri. Missouri. All right. Uh, Mark, did you have any more uh, points that you wanted to bring out here for this uh, third part of our episode? No, but I just kind of want to, I suppose just to wrap it up is, is, is what you can watch out for in your day-to-day -day life. It, like I said, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be uh, in our, in any of our settings. Um, that 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 woman's review really kind of opened my eyes to the the perspective that you guys and the the audience that you guys have at the housewife you know so like watch out for people who are who are retrospectively making things look really simple in an incident uh, it, it means they're not really understanding that there's potentially deeper issues uh, around a, an error or an incident that, that may have happened um look out for people who are being counter counterfactual and saying you should have done this you could have done that because that's not a fact that's that's telling you about something that didn't happen it, it didn't exist it's not real so be aware of people who are being counterfactual uh, be aware of people who are being judgmental as well they're all working in a very kind of um closed-minded uh, way and it could be your opportunity to maybe shift focus and say well look at you know i understand that this happened um but maybe we can look at the bigger picture and see how we can avoid it happening again yeah, does that make sense so that would be my piece to take away because yeah there's i probably kind of missed the opportunities on the debriefing and the and the what was the last one we did decision making and pressure scenarios what was the last episode we did oh yeah decision making I, I didn't really ground them as much as i wanted to in, in in real life but i'd like to just ground this one in that and you know about the about being people being proximal and just pointing the finger at the person who was there and where you know when it happened instead of looking back over the processes like we like we said with mike's rig or you know whatever else might be going on in your world oh, like I, I really that that one about just blaming the people of proximal either in time or location when the problem could have been a latent problem in that rig that was built in in the design stage or a maintenance uh process or a spare part of logistics there could be a thousand points that are actually the source of the problem and that will, if you address them will fix future ones but they're not apparent when you start with that proximal, the blame is inside this circle of time and geographic distance in the tail and the donkey doesn't always work right. 
Don't talk about Raph like that. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't let you. So, are there any other? Uh, are there any other points that you wanted to uh, lay out for today's episode, Raph? Well, I, I think the only thing that would be important to highlight now would be the fact that in a scenario where, you know, worst case, whatever the profession is, whether it's our friend John and LEO or, um, you know, in the trauma setting or aviation, or even in special operations, the, um, the fact that, and I've seen this almost across the board every time an event like that has happened, I've been close enough to, to witness it, that, you know, these catastrophic events occur, but almost immediately you start to notice the amazing things that people achieve as a response to it, right? So when we have a crash, you see people that go above and beyond to reach the crash site, guys like Mike secure the site. And then you've got, you know, advanced maintenance teams that would fly in with like makeshift kits to try to like, you know, fix the helicopter, try to get it out of there. Or, you know, it just, and then you've got the um, medical services that were ready to receive, like as soon as they got the notice that somebody went down, they were, they literally would stage and get everything ready. And they'd have, I remember flying medevac, we would land and there'd be like an army of them, all these volunteers just to get soldiers off the back of the Blackhawk and into whatever section they had to go to. So even in the darkness, you know, of, of that negative ether, there's always like, there's always things you can look at and be like, holy hell, even though we failed at this one thing, there's like these other 20 things that were absolutely made and people went above and beyond. That, that's a really good point. The other thing I want to draw out in that same point is after the engine failure, after the patient flat lines, after, you know, an enemy have wounded one of your teammates, depending on the scenario, that team are still responding. Like that patient then gets immediate attention. That aircraft has to recover and you've got to bring that thing back down to land afterwards. And so after these critical incidents, there's often not the time to start with the whole, you know, fo focus on blame or it's in the response that's occurring. And there's often a lot of those lessons get missed too, that there's some really amazing innovation can occur or decision-making and, you know, extrapolating out from a very limited data set and getting the right answer to solve the problem in the response. And there can be a lot of real wins that can be celebrated in there that can be procedures and policies that can be then rolled out across the board to improve future responses. It doesn't have to just be there's a failure that occurred. It can be well, what was done afterwards and how did they get themselves out of that situation in the individual cell? And then as you're saying, Raph, right across the organization. Did you have any more you wanted to leave us with, Mike? So <clears throat> Raph talking about certain things in, the, in the, the crash helo, right? What did we listen to yesterday on the drive? Man, we listened to some amazing personal anecdotes from Medal of Honor recipients. So Master Sergeant Roy Benavides, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of him. If you, I, uh, I after, read his book, after it's our amazing. show's over, shut, you know, after you shut our show off, you can feel free to Google and go look up uh, Master Sergeant Roy Benavides. And we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. And listen yeah. to his speech and what he went through uh, in Vietnam about rescuing a eight-man special forces team in the jungle and what this man went through, but also not just what he went through, but how he processed it. And literally everything we've talked about through these three episodes is he did pretty much all of these steps to a level that I don't know if, I don't know if personally I'll ever be able to achieve and I don't ever want to be in that situation, but uh, just going through it all and the perspective and how he worked himself through it to get where he was uh, before he passed away in 1998, I believe 
is just phenomenal uh, with how it goes. So uh, the last things I'll say with all of this, guys, is live for the challenge. So we all, we're all in very tough situations and that could be our jobs. That could be being a parent that can be um, whatever you do in life. Uh, you can apply all of these frameworks that we've talked about these last three episodes, uh, take all that comes to you. So it's coming whether you want it to or not, but it's coming. That's just how it, how it is. It's going to be good, medium, bad, happy, sad, uh, but it's coming. Just accept it that, that, that it's going there and just apply these filters to it. Uh, my biggest one is admit when you're wrong. Just, just admit you're wrong. You can't affect how other people are going to respond to you. Some people will jump on you. They love to see you burn. They love to see blood in the water. But speak for yourself. Be a professional. Be, be, be an adult. Be mature. Admit when you're wrong. And that's going to be the way forward and figuring out how to get better. And then, uh, yeah, and then exactly what we've been doing the last 54 episodes, uh, and especially these last three, talk about it. Be open to discussion. Be open to receiving um, both positive and negative uh, feedback because ultimately nothing's perfect. You're always going to have something to improve on. But also, too, don't remember to praise yourself. Give yourself some credit and give your teammates credit because, uh, as Rap said many times, it's a human endeavor. So that's that's all I got. Well, there's some bombs of uh, gold here. And I, I just want to take the opportunity to really thank Mark, who is an old mate of mine. And he approached me. He's like, oh, do you reckon we could do an episode maybe on critical incidents? And I, honestly, I think that these three have just been so relevant for everyone out there because we all go through in our life, you're going to have ups and downs and there's going to be critical incidents we all face, whether it's specifically in the fields of medicine, aviation and uh, special forces combat, probably, you know, in your life, you'll have uh, incidents that are going to come and how are you going to get through them uh, in the best possible way. So Mark, <laughs> you know, you know, I friggin' really don't like you at all. And I'm really sad <laughs> that I had to bring you on, but thanks very much from uh, us and from our, from our audience for the contribution you made. I really encourage people to, leave a review if you uh, want information to get to mark you can send it through to any of the three of us at not your average mike 77 not your average raf not your average paul at gmail.com uh, please share these episodes into your network uh, if you think that there are people around you who can benefit from it you know and i think really this stuff is very wide in its uh, area of application please share it out uh, and uh, hit us up. If you've got a question or a, a, a something you want us to work through, send it to us. We'll do our best to get to it. So from all of us to all of you, thank you very much. Three-part series down. Uh, Raf, Tio wants to jump in. Yeah, I just wanted to end it with, if you're listening to us, stop right now and go listen to Roy Benavidez. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, McCarthy. It's been a pleasure and it's not often I see you shed a tear. So I, I really appreciate it there, Melons. <laughs> I can't wait to lift a pint of black with you, mate. Yeah, it's been great meeting you guys. It, it's been the highlight of my week the last three weeks. Uh, Raf, Mike, thanks for having us as well. Really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. And I'm sure there's probably more gold in the uh, Irishman's skull. So uh, there's a good chance we'll get you back on in the future, Mark. Sounds good. See you next time, everybody. Mm -hmm.